Lord Jesus, we, what a privilege it is to be able to speak to you today. And because of the work that you have done, we can, we can come boldly before your throne of grace, Father. And we've been worshiping at your throne this morning with everything that we have. And now I just pray that you'll give us some understanding and wisdom of your Holy Spirit to um, open our hearts and minds to what you want to say to us today. We, uh, we're overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed right now with your, the enormity of your greatness and your power and your, just who you are. It just overwhelms me that, that I have the ability to come before you and that we get to have any part of you and have any relationship with you at all. And so as a, as a people that are broken and, and weak, we just wanna say we need you and I pray that your spirit will enlighten our hearts today, that you'll bring deliverance and you'll bring salvation, but more than anything, that you'll bring a calm to our spirits and a confidence in our relationship with you today. That's our prayer, that's my prayer. And so help us right now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat, and um, we're gonna jump right in today. We've spent the last six months working through the book of 1 John, and John has been teaching us how to identify true believers, how to identify genuine believers in the church of Jesus Christ. He's been telling us and explaining to us that there are certain characteristics and, or marks of a true Christian. Those that are really in Christ will be growing in. These marks will really be growing in, not perfectly. We've, we've, we've said that over and over again, right? Not perfectly, but increasingly. Those who are truly in Christ will see these and have these characteristics evident in their life, and these characteristics will make our relationship with Jesus obvious to all those around us and to the world. They are these things, I think we have them on your notes, that we will be loving deeply and obeying faithfully and living authentically, and that we'll be knowing Christ more and more, and the one we're gonna really lean into, this last one today, is that we will believe confidently and so when we see these present in others, right, you know that they are truly in Christ, that they are genuine believers in the Lord. And when they're present in our lives, we can know that we are truly the real deal. And today our final message in 1 John will focus on that final characteristic, believing confidently. I've titled the message, Confidence Builders. Four things that John wants us to be confident about as it pertains to our life in Christ. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter five and we're gonna finish this baby today. Um, but it's gonna take some discipline on your part and on my part. I will be closer to my notes than normal because we have a lot to cover and we're going to finish today. Did you hear me say that? Um, but I'm gonna need you. We're gonna work on some pretty hard things today. I'm just gonna give you that right up front. We're gonna work on some pretty heavy things. I'm actually pretty nervous today. I, I am, I'm, 
I'm wrestling because I don't want you to feel like you came to a seminary course today. Um, I want you to hear from the Lord. We're going to wrestle some doctrinal things to the ground. We have to because John writes it this way. Why he waited to the last chapter of his book to do it, I don't know. Well, I'll ask him someday, but we're going to just take it a verse at a time, and we're going to work our way through it, and I hope it'll be encouraging to you, and we'll build your confidence. That's the key. That's the whole point. The first confidence builder we're going to work on is this. Look to your notes. We can know that we are saved. We can know that we are saved. Now, we're going to start with verse 13 of 1 John chapter 5. And 5.13, you've heard me over and over again. I have quoted this verse because it is the purpose statement of the whole book. And it is this. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Did you see it? It's right there. That you may know. We can know that we are saved. What that word know literally means is this, to know for certain without a doubt. That's how it's written in the Greek language. In fact, here here it is in the Greek right here. You ready for it? I've got it on the screen. A continuous, settled state of affairs. That's what John wants for all of us. To have as our own personal possession something that is a certain reality, and it is our eternal life. So John's goal for us, and so our goal, my goal for you today, and for me today, is that we would be certain and confident that we have eternal life. In fact, that's what we've been working on for the last six months. We've been reading all that John and studying all that John has put down by the power of the Holy Spirit for us to know that we have eternal life. This is what God wants for his children. Not only can you know, he wants you to know. You, you parents, okay, in the room. Think about this scenario. You come home someday, and your kids are all huddled up in a room somewhere, and you're overhearing a conversation that goes something like this. I'm worried about whether we're still in the family or not. And you hear one of them say, you know, I'm wondering if like the last disobedient act is nullifying my position in the family. What if you heard your kids saying something like this? They're sharing stories of how they lay awake at night scared that they might have missed something along the way and mom and dad are gonna void the family contract and and kick them out of the family because they screwed up somewhere along the line. (laughs) How ridiculous right? How would your heart, parents, what would you feel like if your children, if you came home and you heard your children and they were serious and they're talking about, I'm not sure mom and dad love me anymore. I'm not sure we're going to make it to the end. I think mom and dad are going to kick us out of the family. Well, why would you say that? Well, because I messed up yesterday. And dad told me one more time, you do this one more time. I think it's the one more time. How broken would your heart be if your kids acted like that? Okay, are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Is this the way of our Heavenly Father? No. No, it is not. And if you care as much about your children the way that you do, and you would feel horrible if your kids acted out that way and had that in their hearts and in their minds about your love for them, and were that insecure in your love, just think about how God feels about that with his children. 
In fact, Jesus says something about that. In Matthew 7, 11, Jesus said, if you sinful people know how to good give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? And what he's talking about is, your father loves you more than you love your kids, I promise you. And what God said through John in this book is, I want you to know that you can know that you have eternal life. Hey, child of God, shout it from the mountaintops, you can know. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> Give it a shot at home, okay? God wants you to know that you're secure in his love and you're secure in his family. Circle it in your Bible right now. Take it big old, just circle it, circle it, circle it, write a big star in the margin. God wants you to know. Make it into a poster. God knows us and we can know that we know him and we can know that we have eternal life and then post it somewhere in the house for all to see. God wants us to know that we are saved without a doubt. Let me read that again to you from above. A continuous, settled state of affairs without a doubt. All right. You up for some doctrine? <laughs> okay, don't get scared of that word doctrine. All that means is biblical teaching. That's all doctrine means, okay? But we're going to study right now. We're going to talk through... Um, some issues on salvation, some, some biblical teaching, some doctrine on the doctrine of salvation. There are three aspects I want you to lean into with me on this, okay? Three aspects of salvation. This is before we move forward into the text. First of all, there's salvation itself, which answers the question, how is a person saved from their sin, okay? Then there is salvation's assurance, which answers the question, how do I know that I am saved, and then there's the third aspect of salvation, which is eternal security, which means, which answers the question, how can I know I will continue to be saved, which is kind of what we're going to be leaning into a little later on. Well, would you like me to confirm these three things in your life? Would you want to know, would you like to have confidence that these three aspects of salvation are true of you? Would you like to hear that? Well, let me help you with that, okay? And let's start with the th just salvation, which is how is a person saved? I want you to know that salvation is confirmed. I'm giving you how to confirm. I'm not going to go into how do you get saved. We all have talked about that over and over again. You confess your sin before the Lord. You realize that you're a sinner because of conviction of the Holy Spirit. You confess your sin before the Lord, and you believe that he is the Son of God, and he is risen from the dead, and you receive his salvation. Well, what confirms your salvation? I would like to pose to you that what confirms your salvation is your story. Do you have a story? I have a story. I could tell you all about it. Now, I can't tell you every detail of my story, but I could tell you my story. I could tell you where I was. I could tell you what year it was. It was 1976 when I gave my heart to Jesus out in the woods in California at Bible camp with my counselor. We were sitting in the middle of a burned out, giant burned out um, stump of a redwood and that's where I gave my heart to Jesus some people are like when you ask them their story they're like well I don't know if I have a story I don't think I have a story I, I, I think I've always been saved nope 
Only those, the Bible says, who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Only those who confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts and repent of their sins will be saved. Go study it. You can see it right in the scripture. I've heard some say, well, my mom and grandma were really great church-going people. And I think because they took me to church, they led me to church every week, I'm saved. True or false? False. Nope. Because the Bible is clear. <laughs> Only those who are drawn by the Father through his Holy Spirit can be saved, not dragged to church by your grandma or your mom are gonna get saved, okay? In fact, you can't come to the Lord, no matter how much you go to church, you can't come to the Lord until the Holy Spirit visits you and enlightens your mind and enlightens your heart to salvation and gives you the faith to believe. Yeah, but maybe I caught it from my family. My family's really religious. You don't catch it, you choose it. Let me just say it this way, and we're not gonna stay here, but if you don't have a conversion story, then you don't have a conversion. If you wanna argue that with me later, I would love to have that conversation with you. But what confirms our salvation is our story that we have. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And so that's what that is, okay? Um, let's talk about salvation's assurance, which is how do I know that I'm saved? I'm not spending any time on this one because we have just spent the last six months on this one. Assurance is confirmed in what we've been talking about all along, the marks of Christianity. We've been working on this, not perfectly, but increasingly. Do you bear the marks of genuine Christianity? then this is how you know that you're saved because those who aren't saved will not bear the marks and the fruit of righteousness. It's impossible to bear fruits of righteousness without the Holy Spirit in your life. You cannot do anything. All of our righteousness is filthy rags before we come into Christ. And so if you bear these marks, then that is confirmation that you have been saved. I have a story. I bear the marks. Here's the third one. I wanna lean into this eternal security thing, which is how do I stay, stay safe? Because John's gonna talk about this. Eternal security is confirmed by the promise of God. So let's dig into this a little bit. Eternal security, which is, do I know that I'm going to continue to be saved? Am I gonna make it to the end? is promised all throughout the New Testament, beginning with Jesus himself. So let's start with that right here. If you wanna go there, you can, or just write it down. John 6, verse 37, I'm gonna have it on the screen for you. This is what Jesus said in relationship to eternal security. Those who the Father has given me will come to me. Words matter, my friends, okay? And so these words are very specific, and I want you to lean into that as we read this passage. Those the Father has given me will come to me. So the Father gives certain individuals that are gonna be the children of God, he gives them to Jesus and you will come to him. And I will never reject them. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will, there it is again, that all who see his son 
and believe in him should have eternal life, I will raise them up at the last day. Hey, child of God, God keeps his own. You ought to shout a big hallelujah to that, that God is taking care of your salvation. In fact, 1 Peter 1 verse 5 says this, God is protecting you by his power until you receive your salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Isn't that awesome? God's power is keeping your salvation safe. It's, it's a good thing to clap in the house of the Lord. Clap your hands, all you people. God's keeping your salvation for you. And, yes. And if you... Uh, see, you're making me get ahead of myself now. I almost... <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We've studied this in depth, okay? So I'm just going like, to give you a flyover in Ephesians chapter 1. You and I have been chosen before the world began. You and I have been predestined by his love and adopted into his family. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been reconciled and restored and declared righteous before the Lord. His grace and mercy have been lavished upon us. Our eyes have been opened to the truth by the power of his Holy Spirit. And by that same Holy Spirit, we have been marked, the scripture says, with a seal. And look at verse 14 on the screen. That seal is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory, not to the praise of your strength to hang on to it. You got it? So here's the question. How much of what I just read to you in Ephesians chapter one is dependent upon you being good enough to hang on to it all? Zero, none of it. Because we would have already blown it. In fact, you blew it this morning. More than likely. And if you didn't blow it this morning, you will soon. Because we're weak. And God knows that. And he knows that every single one of us would fail in hanging on to our salvation if our salvation was up to us. The confidence builder is that it's in God's hands. And that should encourage you. The promise is this in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who is the one who started the work? God the Father, and sending his Holy Spirit to do the work in you. And he is the one who will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. This is our confidence, my friends. Listen to me. The Bible is clear. The source of your salvation is God's grace. You didn't earn it. You certainly don't deserve it. He lavished it upon you and me because he loves us. The source of your assurance of salvation is God's Spirit at work within you, the marks. Let me ask you, are you more loving, obedient, authentic, knowledgeable about Christ and his ways and confident? Not without the help of the Holy Spirit, you're not. It's impossible for you to be all that God requires of us without the work and power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that works within us to produce any righteousness that we have. And the third aspect of salvation is the source of your eternal security is God's power. 
You don't keep it yourself, God keeps it. So let me ask you, do you have a story? Do you bear the marks? If the answer is yes to both of those, then God's got it from here. You don't need to be worried about it. You can know that you have eternal life. Did you know that John recorded Jesus talking about all three of these aspects of salvation in one um, little sermonette that he had? And you can find it in John chapter 10, verse 27. I have it on the screen for you to look, listen to Jesus. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, their salvation. And they follow me, there's assurance of salvation. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There is eternal security. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Can you see it? This is so vital to you, your confidence in knowing that you're saved. Jesus said, if you're truly in me and all the, that God has given me, I will not lose and I will not reject. If you're in me, no one, look at this. I wish I had a little like figurine that I could put in my hand and that represents you and me in salvation. And, and he says, I've got you in my hand and no one can snatch you out of my hand. Do you believe that? Do you believe there's anything, any power stronger than the hand of, of Jesus? Not at all. But Jesus went a step further, said, and if you're wondering whether or not I'm strong enough, no one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. But wait a minute, I don't, I'm not in the Father's hand, I'm in the Son's hand. Yeah, but I and the Father are one. And if I've got you, then the Father has you. And if you don't think I'm powerful enough, then you know Almighty God is powerful enough to hang on to your salvation. You don't need to be worried. Be confident, my friend, in the eternal life that you have in Jesus Christ. He's got you. And it's not dependent. It's not dependent upon your ability to be good enough. Don't be laying in bed at night, sweating and with with cold sweat, worrying about whether you are gonna make it. If I, I don't know if I'm gonna go to sleep tonight. If I, if I, what if I die in my sleep? Will I wake up in heaven? If you have a story and you bear the marks, the answer is absolutely yes. Well, what if I sinned and didn't confess it before I wake up? He's got that covered. The blood of Jesus covered that. Does that mean I can go on sinning and not confess? Absolutely not. He'll make it miserable till you do. Got it? Is your confidence building? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Confidence builder number two. Number one is you can know that you are saved. Confidence number two, your prayers are heard. God hears his children Verse 14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. What is that confidence? That he hears us. Listen, knowing that you're saved should lead us to confident prayers. Hear this. When you know God is your dad, then you will have the boldness and courage to come before him in prayer and talk to your heavenly father. And the invitation is to come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in your time of need. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Because of the work of Jesus Christ that he has done on the cross for you and in your heart, 
we can walk right up to our Father and talk to him and ask him for anything. Anything? Anything. How fun is that? How awesome is that? Look at verse 14 again. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Yes, <laughs> I love this. That means I can go to God and ask him for anything I want and I will get it. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're holding me accountable. <laughs> yeah, don't miss the qualifier in there, right? If you ask anything, it means anything, by the way, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. What does that mean? Well, Jesus put it this way in John 14, 14. You may ask me for, here's the word again, anything. Isn't that something? You can ask me for anything, qualifier, in my name, and I will do it. Wow. In my name and according to God's will are the same thing. I have a definition for you. Here it is. Praying according to God's will means praying for things that are consistent with what you know God desires. Leave that up there just for a little bit, you guys. Praying according to God's will means praying for things that are consistent with what God knows or what you know God desires. You get this, right? Like God's not, <clears throat> we're not like little kids in a candy store and God's like the candy man behind the counter whistling the song, who can take the sunrise? You know, that's not, that's not what it's all about. It's not like, I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. That's not what it is about. And I know you understand that. Every prayer that is offered has to be offered with this. You're God, and I'm not. You know what you're doing in my life, and I don't. You know what is best for me, and I don't. Now, the scripture is clear. Ask me. You have not because you ask not. Uh, you have not sometimes because you ask for the wrong reasons with the wrong motives. But come to me and ask me. But you, we go to the Father boldly before his grace and we ask him for anything according to his will with these words of Jesus on our lips. Not my will, but yours be done. I, I really want this, Lord, I really, I really want to be healed. I really, I really want financial security. I really want my family back. I really want a new job. I really want to make a difference. And we can ask for all these things, but we need to ask the right way and for the right things with those words on our lips. Not my will, but your will be done. I want to ask this according to to your will. And when you pray like this, according to his will, will, the scripture says he hears our prayers. And biblically, if God hears your prayers, then open your hands because your package is coming. It, your package is on the way. Because hearing and doing are the same thing to God. Look at verse 15. If we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, and that's assuming we ask according to his will. We know that we have 
what we asked of him. It all comes down to praying for the right things in the right ways. We don't preach a prosperity, like name it, claim it gospel because the Bible doesn't teach a prosperity gospel. But if you want your prayers answered every time, on time, pray for the right things the right way. Now he takes us to another level in verse 16, which is praying for your brother who is in sin. Look at verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. <laughs> and you guys are all going, what is he talking about? Sin that leads to death, sin that doesn't lead to death. Let me just say that this is a very difficult, one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament to wrestle with. But before we dive in, you up for some more doctrine? Let's talk about the doctrine of sin a little bit. We talked about the doctrine of salvation. Let's talk about the doctrine of sin a little bit before we jump into this. In the broad sense, all sin leads to death, okay? And the only reason death exists at all in the world is because of sin. No one was ever going to sin or to die either physically or spiritually in the Garden of Eden until someone sinned. And now the scripture teaches that that sin has passed down to all men for all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. Okay? All sin not only leads to physical death, but those who die physically without Christ will also die a spiritual death because they died in their sins instead of dying in Christ. We're all going to physically die, and that is a result of sin. But if you don't find life in Christ while you're still alive physically, then you will die in your sins spiritually. Separated from Christ, separated from God for all eternity under the punishment for your sins. You will pay for your sins. That's not necessary, by the way. Jesus paid for the sins of all mankind. And if you will just confess your sin before him and humble your heart, you can receive salvation from Jesus Christ. I'm calling anyone out who does not do, know this and does not have a story of faith in Jesus Christ. And today can be the day that you have a story of faith where you can receive the salvation and forgiveness of your sins. Before we are alive in Christ, Paul tells us we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And he's talking about spiritual death. But this passage that we're working on right now is not talking about spiritual death. It's talking about physical death. And you might say, like, how do you know that, Phil? Because this passage is written to believers. So the death being written about here is not spiritual death, but it is what I'm calling premature physical death. John is telling us that there is a sin that leads to premature physical death, and there are sins that do not lead to physical death, premature physical death. That's all I'm going to say about that. Let's move on. Because <laughs> everyone's asking, well, what is the sin that leads to death? 
Anybody want to know so that you don't do it? Nobody? One person wants to know. I'll tell you later. Let's just move on. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> the, the answer is, I don't know. And neither do you. And the reason I can say that is because John didn't tell us. But evidently, John's readers and John himself knew what he was talking about and didn't need to be explained. It didn't need to be uh, uh, des described to us what that sin is. And so what I'm going to tell you is what I think John is communicating from studying the passage myself, studying what other people have said um, who are much smarter than me on this subject. And there are two different views on this, okay? But I'm going to give you what I think John is trying to talk to us about. I think that the sin that leads to death and remember, this is physical death, not spiritual death, because he's talking to believers. For believers, there is a sin that leads to death, physical death, premature physical death. I think the sin that leads to that death is a Christian's continued, a Christian's continued participation in a pattern of sin that is so serious, and they have, they have so um, deafened their ears to the voice of the Holy Spirit's conviction in their life that God takes their life and brings them home. Want some examples of that? Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, they were in the New, in the New Testament church. They were believers. Scripture says that they lied to the Holy Spirit and to the church and bam, both of them dropped dead on the spot. God took them home, took them out of the way. Does that mean that John's referring to lying to the Holy Spirit? Not necessarily. But I could tell you that if you lie to the Holy Spirit like Ananias and Sapphira did, God may snatch your life from you and take you home. And it ended up being a huge lesson for the church of Jesus Christ. Everyone shook in fear. You don't mess with that kind of stuff. Uh, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and said when referring to participating in the Lord's Supper, this is what he wrote. Some of you are partaking in an unworthy manner. And what he was describing was referring to blatant, unconfessed sin. So they were living like they wanted to during the week and then they were coming together and they were participating in the remembrance of all that the Lord had done for their sins. And he said because of that, Many of you are sick, and a bunch of you have died. These are Christians. So here's a definition that I am comfortable with today that I want to give to you. Because I can't pinpoint, none of us can pinpoint what that, what is the sin that leads to death? Leads to phys premature physical death for the Christian. You can't, I can't define that. And so what I've come to is this. The sin that leads to death is prolonged, repeated, unrepented, grievous sins in the life of a believer. Now, this is a big deal, you guys. Because all the way throughout, and we're going to see it in just a second here, John says, we know that if you are in Christ, you will not continue in sin. There are other passages where Paul talks about all of this, and he says, listen, don't fool yourself. 
if you're living in your sin the way you were prior to your so-called confession of Christ, you're not saved because saved people will no longer live like that. Amen? Amen? That's, that's just clear in the scripture. In fact, if you see somebody who is living a continuous lifestyle of sin the way that they were before they professed Christ, and they seem, they're seemingly powerless against that sin, then you have to assume they're not saved because the Holy Spirit of God will not let you up. He will, he will not, he'll, not, he'll knock you down to get your attention to turn your heart back to the Lord. He doesn't, he'll never let you go back there again if you truly are saved, if you truly have the Holy Spirit of God. And so Paul in a number of places says, don't, don't deceive yourself. These kinds of people don't know the Lord. They're not gonna inherit eternal life. And yet you have people who evidently who are believers, they are true believers in Jesus Christ, but they turn their back on the Lord for a period of time. I don't know what that is and how to explain that. And it's not for me to judge that. This is between them and God. But there is a sin, and I believe it's a continual, prolonged, repeated, unrepentant, grievous sin in the life of the believer where God says, I'm taking you home. In fact, it's such a big deal to God that he says through John here, I don't think, I don't want you to pray about that, about that sin. Pray for your brothers and sisters that are sinning regular sins, whatever that is, okay? I mean, there are sins that we all commit. Yes? Yes? Every voice say yes. Yes. There is a sin that we all commit. We, are, we commit sins all the time. But we're supposed to be so grieved by the Spirit, which I, I know you know what that is, I know what that is, that when you do that, you're heartbroken and you turn to the Lord. And you just say, I'm sorry that I did this. I'm sorry that I went back to my old ways. I'm gonna turn again. But there are some people. And by the way, we should be praying for each other about that. But John says here, if you see somebody in this situation and they're sinning the sin that leads to death, I don't, I don't say that you pray for that. Don't get in between God and the work that he is preparing and knows to do in these extreme cases. And that's all I have to say about that because I don't know how else to get any deeper in this and explain it any clearer to you. I'll let you work on that on your own. But I wanna take you back to verse 16 again. When you see that we... When you see your brother sinning, what does it say? We should pray for them, and God will give him life. When we see each other sinning, we should pray for each other, is what John says. Paul actually tells us that those of you who are spiritual, if you see your brother in a fall, go to him. Go to him and gently restore him. Gently guide him back to the truth and help your brothers in that way and your sisters in that way when you see him sinning. But what John is saying here is when you see your brother sinning, pray for him. And what will happen? God will give him life. That's the promise. What a privilege it is ours to have, to be able to be in the process of deliverance and be able to be in, in the process of spiritual growth in each other's lives because God loves to restore his children when we fall. And so we can go to our brothers and sisters when they fall and we can help them up. 
but we're supposed to pray for them. And when we pray, you know powerful things happen. You do know that, right? Powerful things happen. And when you pray for your brother who is sinning, God will give him life. It's a promise. Man, instead of, instead of judging our brothers and sisters, you know, when they sin, instead of gossiping about our brothers and sisters through prayer requests and those kinds of things, instead of all of that kind of stuff, let's go to, our, let's go to each other and let's pray for each other that God will restore us and give us life. You still with me? We have two more to go in 10 minutes. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> confidence builder number three. Is your confidence building? Yeah. I hope that it is because that's what John's goal here is for us. Confidence builder number three. You are protected by God. First John five eighteen. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin, the one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. Who is the one born of God? That is in reference to Jesus, keeps them safe. Jesus told us he would keep us safe. And the evil one cannot harm them. If you are born of God, you will not continue in sin. How can you say that, Phil? Well, we just talked about it. You will either turn through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, thus not continue in your sin, or God will remove you if you're a true believer, and you will not continue in your sin. Either way, you won't continue in your sin. Jesus will keep you safe, and the evil one can't harm you. He won't let you keep on sinning and harming yourself either because of his love for us, just like you would for your kid. Stop that, you're harming yourself. Stop that, you're harming other people. God's the same way with us. Satan can harass us, the demons can tempt us, to fall back into our old patterns of sin, but he will never again have us if you're truly in Jesus, because Jesus has you, and he will see to it that you are safe. Verse 19 says, we know that we are children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Not anymore for you and me. Praise God for that truth. Final confidence builder, here it is, number four. Jesus helps you know. What's the goal? What is building our confidence? That you will know that you have eternal life. Well, the confidence should help you to know that when you're in doubt, Jesus helps you know. Verse 20, we also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. I just love this. Look at Luke 10, 22. Can't wait for you to see this. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Is your heart strengthened to know that you know God because Jesus has chosen to reveal him to you? How special is that? Because of Jesus and his Holy Spirit, we understand, John says, that he is the only true way and that through his sacrifice, we can have a personal relationship with him and truly know that he is the true God and that eternal life is from him. My friends, he chose to reveal all of that to you because he loves you. That ought to build some confidence. 
You have eternal life in Jesus Christ because Jesus chose to reveal it to you. Okay, last verse. You ready? Verse 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Isn't that a weird way to end a letter? You know, not, thanks for listening. You know, see you later. Love you. You know, I'll check up on you later, see how you're doing and all this. That's not, that's not how he ended. He just says, dear children, which is a very endearing term. It's like, beloved, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Why would he end with this? Because God wants, God through John wants the very best for you. Wants the very best for me in our walk with God. And none of these things that we have been working on, these marks of true Christianity, would be increasingly true or possible of us if Christ isn't the first thing in our lives. The command is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and have no other gods before me. That's what we're called to do. This is what we're all about. Loving God with all we have because God has loved us with all he has. So one more time, I'm going to ask it. The last time, I'm going to ask it. Will the real Christians please stand up? I am so, humbled and blessed to be able to do this with you, to be a fellow struggler, wrestler with this thing called the world and all the lures and temptations of the world that want to draw us out. How awesome is it that we get to do this together? And that we're not out there all by ourselves trying to figure it out. And that we have each other um, to love each other and to serve each other and to watch out for each other. And this is what the church needs to be all about. I'm thankful that you're here to be part of all of this. Um, I keep talking to you about the fact that we got a lot of stuff coming our way. Um... It's getting weirder and weirder out there. Is that even, can, I, can you say it that way? More and more strange all the time. And I just think we're just getting closer and closer. And we're gonna need each other more and more. But we're also gonna need the resolve in our lives to be what God has called us to be. We have a part, we play a part, and that is to submit our will to the will of the Father. Not just in what we ask, in the way that we live. So I hope that this study has been an encouragement to you and that you're stronger in the Lord because of it. Hopefully you're a lot more confident in your salvation. Knowing that we have the strength and power of the Holy Spirit of God to give us the strength to go out there and be all that he wants us to be and to serve him the way that he wants us and expects us to serve him because we have his power at work within us. I'm gonna be praying to that end for you and for me.
hey, next week's gonna be awesome. We get to have another I have seen and testify. We're calling I have seen and testify again. And we're going to have a whole service. I think we have 20 plus people being baptized um, next week. So we're just gonna dedicate the whole service to that again. And, and you guys, on the 12th of March, during our um, Sunday night uh, family gathering, I think we have like 15 to 20 people sign up for that night to be baptized. God is doing some amazing things in people's lives right now. And if you have not been baptized and you would like that um, for next Sunday or on the 12th, you can come on up here um, after the service. We'll talk to you. We'd love to talk to you about that. You can stop at the connection point, give them your name and, and contact information, and we'll get you in the waters of baptism, obeying, obeying the Lord um, in that way next week. It's going to be a great time together. The following week, I'm going to start a brand new series. Um, it's going to be a shortened series, take us up to Easter, um, called Coming Forth as Gold. We're going to dive into the crucible of suffering, and we're going to talk about what purpose those things those sufferings have in our lives and what God is trying to do and how we can come purified as gold through the other, the other side of that. I hope that you'll be excited about that and be here to jump into that with us. Let me pray for you right now. Father, we love you and we thank you for your love for us. And I thank you that um, you've given us your word to guide our lives and to guide our hearts. And so I pray that we will be walk out of here with confidence and our heads up knowing that we are children of God. And I know we're broken and I know we have issues and we always have issues, but we are totally secure. Those of us who know you as our Savior, we're totally secure in your love and totally in your hands and you're going to complete what you have started in us. And um, so we're thankful for that. I just want to say before I close this prayer that if you are not saved today, whether you're here in the building hearing my voice or you're at home or wherever you are online joining us, salvation can be yours today. And all you need to do is reach out in faith to believe and confess your sin before the Lord and you will have a story of faith in Jesus Christ and on your way to this eternal security that we have been talking about today. Help us, let us help you. Um, if that is the case for you, to help you start your life with the Lord today. Bless us, Lord, as we go. I pray um, for those who are suffering in this world around us, that we would be able to be a light, shine into their darkness, and be a help and helping hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for the conflicts all around the world. I pray for those that are still suffering from these earthquakes. But on the flip side, Lord, I pray that you'll just explode this revival that's going on down in Kentucky and on these other campuses, that you will just continue it, make it as real as possible. Don't let Satan or anyone get in and tear it down and knock it down. Just burn a fire, Lord, and, and, and burn it bright and strong and, and visit it upon us again. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, love you guys.